it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Bottom of the hour, Carly Shimkus will unwind the war with us, talk about the developments with the Ukrainians getting back on the offensive against the Russians and what they decided to do about Nord Stream 1 to Europe. Also, uh, Ben Carson will be with us. You know, housing prices are going up. Uh, It's rapidly changing, rapidly changing the market is uh, by the day as interest rates go up. uh, The former HHS secretary uh, will be joining us, too. Also, his book, uh, Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Ben Carson coming up next. But first, the big three on this Thursday. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tonight, CNN is first to report the federal investigation into Hunter Biden's business activities has reached a critical juncture. Sources say investigators are now weighing possible charges. D-Day for Hunter, a four-year investigation into illicit hijinks featuring international trade deals, tax evasion, hookers, guns, and drugs may be coming to a close. Are you confident justice will be served? And will we ever find out the links back to Joe? Number two. The border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Yeah, that is Mayorkas lying about to boil over. That's what's finally happening with our broken border as mayors are speaking out as hundreds of thousands pour into our country illegally. Meanwhile, President Biden and company sing that song titled Denial. Number one. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time ah. Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Excuse me? You got cancer? He's got cancer. I think we buried the headline. Another gaftastic tone-deaf speech for President Biden as he tries to take our attention away from gas prices, inflation, and put it to climate change, which will benefit China in the long run and hurt us in the short run. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's amazing to me that the administration has to put out. Everybody makes mistakes. If, you're, if you do what I do, you make mistakes all the time. But when you're the president with a fixed speech, you fly up to Massachusetts to talk about climate change. I don't need to tell you the metric tons of carbon that Air Force One puts in the air. So right there, you're a loser. You go in front of a coal plant and say, thank goodness this is closed. Forgetting that Somerset was really driven, I think 60% of the economy was driven by that coal plant. So there's a lot of people not happy that that thing is shuttered. So a horrible backdrop. And the president slurs his way through his speech, at which time he just says, well, the oil was so thick when I was growing up, it was on the windshield, and I have cancer. Excuse me? The president has cancer? Next thing you know, the administration's walking back and trying to clarify what they mean. That means he had cancer. Really? You had cancer? Uh, excuse me? You had cancer? Uh, no, well, those were some lesions that I had taken off. They were cancerous. Okay. How'd you get it? Well, according to his doctor who issued their health report, they didn't refer to the president as suffering from any current cancers. This guy, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, says the report attributed to Biden's skin cancer is because of his time in the sun. It was well established the president did spend a good time of 
uh, of his youth in the sun, causing cancer. He was a lifeguard. Remember? Uh, what was the name of uh, what was the name of the guy that gave him a, a hard time? Remember Corn Pop? There wouldn't be a Corn Pop if he didn't stay in the sun as a lifeguard. Remember? He was gonna he got a chain and was gonna meet him after work. So he's trying to talk about climate change and tell us it's a national and global emergency. Then he calls one of the people that he says is so important. Calls it she. Her name. Uh, is Jake. I mean, his name is Jake. So we had a few of those. You, you want to hear them? All right, we'll, do, we'll, go, we'll run through them. And then we'll get to the heart of, of the big, one of the big talks, uh, the talking points, and that is climate change. This is not the time to bring it up. Only 16% of Republicans think it's a, uh, an issue. 60-plus percent of Democrats think it's an issue. But if I was to ask those Democrats right now with an election four months away with, uh, with price per gallon at around $5, and with inflation at 9%, if you should be making a historic speech, in his words, because of this cataclysmic time about climate change, with Japan building a coal plant today, and Russia just trying to carve up the Ukrainians, I don't really think this is the perfect time. Listen to President Biden, cut 14. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time, Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Really? Okay. Not true. You didn't. We just told you that. More for him. He's in Somerset, Massachusetts. uh, And I should say that. Here he is calling Jake uh, Achenkloss, making mistaking Jake. You know that binary name, Jake? You know how many female Jakes I know? Okay, give me a second. Okay, none. I know no female Jakes. I mean, if the name was Kelly, sometimes I can go both ways. Johnny Cash sang that song. Uh, my name is Sue. It's a guy. Boy named Sue. That's right. I haven't heard Johnny Cash in a while. That was a problem. Cut 15. There you go. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Congressman Claw Sauce. Where is she? There you go, Jake. Auchincloss Claw Sauce. Where is she? That reminds me of Chuck. What am I talking about? Where's Chuck? Oh, what am I talking about? God love you. Uh, stand up for Chuck. Because Chuck, uh, he pointed out years ago, had no legs. More, one more gaffe that I think is bringing up, and that's just logistics. Again, I am not gaffe-free. I never claim to be. But it's very rare when you try to make an historic speech to mark his time in a moment as President of the United States when you put a 15-minute speech in the prompter and you make three uh, significant errors. Cut 16. Folks. With American leadership back on climate, I was able to bring more world leaders together. Than we got 100 nations together to agree that their major conference in Glasgow, England, to, I mean, Scotland. Okay, a couple of things. You didn't bring them together. The Paris Climate Summit wasn't your idea. It wasn't President Obama's idea. You know, the Paris Climate Summit that we got out of, thank goodness, that he brought us back into horrendously. Then they had an update with Glasgow, but no one's doing anything. People are doing the best they can to be responsible, lean towards renewables. When it's ready, we'll buy it. The Lightning Ford 150, if it is ready, we can afford it. You can replace the batteries without buying another car. Americans will buy it. We want to be responsible. But when you plug it in, just know, more than likely, that Ford F-150 Lightning is going to be recharged by a coal plant. 
So why should we be fined and subsidies be given to a green industry that is not ready? So the president stopped short of saying this is a climate emergency. Cut to. I come today with a message. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. Right. The health of our citizens and our communities is literally at stake. Thank you. Literally at stake. The clear and present danger is China, Russia, the growing communist regimes in South America and Central America, something scientists could be working on, engineers could be focused on, is transitioning to green energy. And when nuclear energy is available and affordable and safe, which it is, we do it. When natural gas can be fracked from the ground safely and we can do it and exported where we can profit from it, which it is, we do it. When we can get trucks to transition from diesel and cars to transition from gas in a way that's market competitive without massive subsidies, we will do it. But I'm dumbfounded that this is what the president's focused on, and I'm flabbergasted that he goes to Somerset, and we got a call yesterday from someone there, and acts like it's a great thing that this plant was shut down, that financed a city, that promised to be replaced by some windmill factory that has not touched ground yet, and the president's taking a bow on it. And by the way, an ugly backdrop, I might add. Here's Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, Talking about on Capitol Hill all week, defending the fact that he and also going on the offense, trying to get subsidies for an industry that's not ready for a country that's already. A hundred. Our revenue does not equal our debt. It's a terrible ratio, but he still wants to spend cut 11. The sooner we can be focused on domestic clean energy production uh, as leading the way in, in the U.S. energy mix, the less we are confronted with uh, some of the, the most confounding uh, questions of, uh, of, of geopolitical risk that come with the 20th century economy. I'm, I'm still astonished that, that some folks, uh, and, and I, I felt this, I was testifying in Congress yesterday, um, some folks seem to really uh, struggle to let go of the status quo. Yes, I don't know why I'm struggling to get air conditioning in my home with the current natural gas pipeline, I feel so archaic, like the Flintstones driving around in my car with no shoes on, no engine in it, just pushing myself along. And I took a horse to work because I just don't want to let go of past modes of transportation. Unbelievable how clueless all these people are. Sadly, they're in power. Dr. Ben Carson was, maybe will again. He'll be joining us next. Then Carly Shimkus will break down the other news of the day, and I'm going to weave you in in between. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on this Thursday. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news, twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So my message today is this. Since Congress is not acting as it should, and these guys here are, but we're not getting many Republican votes, this is an emergency. An emergency. And I will. I will look at it that way. I said last week, and I'll say it again loud and clear. As president, I'll use my executive powers to combat climate, the climate crisis in the absence of congressional action. And there you go. I don't know exactly what he's going to do, but he slurred his way through some type of message yesterday in front of a defunct coal uh, firing plant. Dr. Penn Carson knows the reality of our environment and challenges of our housing community. And what is it like to try to get the working class and middle class buy into this climate change doctrine? Uh, He was the 17th secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development and founded the American Cornerstone Institute as well as the author of Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Dr. Carson, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. It's always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Dr. Carson, with the challenges that we're looking at with inflation, with rising interest rates, gasoline prices, the threat of China, the ongoing war in, in Russia, the checks we're writing, the equipment we're efforting to get there, the challenge obviously uh, in the Middle East, why is climate change tops on his agenda? Because they, the leftists, believe that they are righteous and that their causes are righteous and they supersede anything else. And here's the sad thing, Frank. Our country was designed to be of, for, and by the people. And he is switching it to up for and by the government. And the government is supposed to work for the people, not the other way around. Somehow they've managed to get this all screwed up, and they believe that they are the ones who determine what our lives should be because they know what's best. That's what's happened to us. So 64% of Democrats say that climate change is an urgency and a priority. Only uh, 16% of Republicans. Where does Dr. Ben Carson stand? Well, you know, climate has always been changing. When climate stops changing, that's when we're dead. Um, You could go back 100 years, 1,000 years. There's always been heat waves. There's been cooling periods. And that's going to continue regardless of what we do. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be stewards of our environment. doesn't mean that we shouldn't be careful. But look at the progress that we've made. With, with fracking, with other ways of extracting our fossil fuels so that we have the cleanest air and the cleanest water since recorded history. And we continue to make progress along those lines. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, strive for green energy, for renewable resources, 
but we should use what we have to get what we want. We should work in right. conjunction with what we have, not inflict horrible problems upon the people. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned about them trying to rip America apart by the foundation. That's by making our founding fathers look fallible and awful and making us reconsider our brilliant past, even though it's not perfect. You take that on when you, in the painful past that you wrote about, and you are the ultimate success story, became a world-renowned surgeon and beat all the odds. You're also take, worried about the next generation, and you have published, you're promoting a new work. It's called the Little Patriots Program. Tell me about that. Well, you know, during the COVID uh, crisis, we had a chance to sit down and actually look at what was being taught in our schools, and I think we were all pretty much, many of us, horrified uh, with the way that history is being distorted or deleted. And, uh, you know, if you want to fundamentally change a society, you have to indoctrinate and manipulate. So you gain control of the educational system, you gain control of the media. That's exactly what the leftists have done. But we don't want to just complain about it. Uh, With our Little Patriots program, littlepatriotslearning.com, we've designed programs, animated programs, beautiful programs, and little kids just absolutely love them. We've had thousands and thousands of signups just last week. And um, we hired some of the most talented uh, animators from Disney, from Pixar, uh, from ABC Kids, the ones who are non-woke, by the way, uh, to create these animations, which are associated with lesson study plans that you can do by yourself, teachers. It's perfect for home schools, <clears throat> home schools, public right. schools, private schools, any kind of schooling system. And we have books associated with it. Our new book came out, Red, White, and Blue, Our Flag Matters to Me and You where Liberty Eagle, who's sort of the uh, guide, helps a little boy who founds a, a, a tattered American flag on the ground to understand the significance of the red, the white, the blue, the stars, the stripes, and the people who have fought so hard to give us the freedoms that we have. And all the proceeds from the books, by the way, get funneled right back into the program so that we can make it free. This online program, K-5, absolutely free because of underwriters and the, and the monies that we earn. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, go to www.littlepatriotslearning.com. Now, listen, a lot of parents are listening right now. You want to get your kids to read. You want to get something that's going to be exciting. This is written for them. Uh, it's a cartoon series for kids. Uh, called Star Spangled Adventures. It's a new online program. So it's a way to interact with you kids. Listen, it's uh, really hot. You might want to keep them out uh, during the middle of the day. Instead of saying, how do I come up with something? You're not a teacher. Dr. Carson did the hard work for you. Uh, Dr. Carson, and, thanks. Go and ahead. It's, and it's great great for parents, too. You know, we see so many kids and, and, and older people out on the streets. They don't know anything about who we are and how we got there. Uh, they can they can learn a lot from this, and it's entertaining. Yeah, or they forgot. <laughs> it's been a while since they've been in school. Uh, Dr. Carson, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, Brian, always. And always great. Uh, if you want to get another book, uh, pick up Created Equal, uh, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, Hopeful Future of Race in America. Dr. Carson wrote that, too. Carly Shimkus in next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Glad you're here.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Yeah, exactly. Joe Biden uh, just talking about his youth again, which seems like yesterday, 84 years ago. Uh, that is Joe Biden yesterday. He wants to have, have the whole country talking about climate change. Instead, we're talking about whether he had cancer or not. And then the communications division walking back whether he had cancer or not and defining that he had a few lesions peeled off. And then upon further review, it turns out that because he was a lifeguard fighting corn pop on a daily basis uh, as a kid. Joining us now for Corn Pop, what he brings to the table and more, Koi Shimkus, uh, fresh off Fox and Friends and Fox and Friends First. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's pretty yeah. rare to get three major gaffes in a 15-minute well, speech. Not for him. Right, you're right. Although the cancer thing, I actually rewound the TV. I said, did I hear that right? And when you rewind the TV and you go, yeah, I heard that right, you know that the White House is going to come out with a correction. Thankfully, it, that's not true, what right. he said. Uh you don't want that to happen. Uh, but, yeah, that was interesting. The whole um, timing of this speech really about the climate emergency is more about a Joe Biden political emergency because uh, he's trying to shore up support with his base. I think that that New York Times poll that showed that 64 percent of Democrats would rather have somebody else other than him run for um, president in 2024 really shook the White House. And then at the same time that poll came out is when Joe Manchin said, I don't want to support a climate change bill unless inflation goes down. So here we are. We we got to where we were yesterday. But today you knew what was going to happen. He's going to make the speech. The climate change people uh, are going to say he's not going far enough. And everybody else in the country is going, why is he talking about a, a, a climate change emer- emergency when we are in an oil and gas right. emergency. Right, uh, true. Uh, but, the, but we're in a heat wave in the summer, and they said, proof this is emergency. We don't have any more time. And then there's these experts. Like one of the good friends of our show, Joe Bestardi, uh, one of the founders of the Weather Channel, a best-selling author, Cut 18, with Sean Hannity last night. The idea that you can actually control what you didn't create, an infinite and majestic system uh, such as the atmosphere, uh, it's, it's simply a way to try to sway people to reach to something bigger than what they are doing today. And, and a lot of people have bought into it. I understand the polls say this and that, but I'm out there. You know, I live next to a major university, and almost every person I talk to that goes to that university believes that the, uh, you know, the apocalypse is coming and all this stuff. And it's just not happening. I hate to disappoint you. There's more and more study that show the world should have ended already. Including Al Gore's last movie. Yeah, that's true. And I think that um, that one of the things that resonates the most with uh, when you talk about climate change with a lot of people is just the hypocrisy. I, the climate envoy, John Kerry, he's got a private jet. Yep. He's been flying it around 300 a, what, a private tons yacht. of yeah, and a private yacht of carbon emissions when your climate czar uh, has a larger carbon footprint than 99.9% of the American people. Uh, that's a problem. And then you have Pete Buttigieg, who's, who's um, pushing um, electric vehicles when, you know, obviously you, we talk about the electric grid. It, it, it runs off fossil fuels. Sixty percent of it does. So is that really the solution? Plus, they're so expensive. And if President Biden really thought that climate change was this existential crisis, maybe he'd give up his Cadillac. But I don't think he has. He hasn't yet. Uh, Cut 21 is a, a scientist, Congressman Tom Massey, an independent libertarian uh, talking about uh, talking to Pete Buttigieg on Capitol Hill, cut 21. If that average household plugged in electric cars, 
Do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. So, yeah, that was an interesting lineup. You had Massey on uh, Fox and Friends, right? Yeah, and he he was talking to Pete Buttigieg on that. And when you plug in your car and you plug in your uh, in your house, your your the the energy grid right now is run for the most part eighty plus percent on coal. So we're debating this. This should be an issue, perhaps on an election, okay. But for the president to come out and say, out of my priorities, I'm going to go to the number. 15 on everybody's top 20 list. No. Well, did you see also that New York Times Santa Pollitt showed that um, the question was, what is the largest crisis facing the country right now? And 1% of people said climate change. Uh, but apparently that 1% is really, really critical uh, to the president's base. And, you know, that's who he's trying to that's, – that's the support that he's trying to shore up right now. Uh, the other thing – I mean, the transportation secretary, man, he's had a heck of a week because he also talked to – did you hear his comments with Carlos Jimenez, the congressman from Florida? Sure. Yeah, where he said – they were talking about electric vehicles again. And Buttigieg said, well, the more pain people feel, the better off people are with electric vehicles – um, you know, a lot of Republicans always say the pain is the point. Well, he and, and Democrats would never admit that he literally just did in that congressional speech. So I want you to hear this little debate between Rachel Zimmerman and P, uh, J. Peter Lark. Uh, Rachel is a spokesperson for General uh, for General Motors and Lansing board member of Water and Light. Listen to this back and forth. Cut 13. Battery in this particular design is a T-shape right down the center and across the back seat area. Because everybody thought we killed the electric vehicle. No, we didn't. It's alive and well. So what's charging the, the batteries right now? What, where, where, what's the source of a... Well, here. It's, it's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it... Um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't I don't know... They're, uh... I bet they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas, aren't they? Uh, right now, the car is charging off of your grid. Right. It would be charging off uh, our grid, which is nine, about 95%. Cool. All right. Yeah. How embarrassing Whoops. is that at a GM press Oops. conference? Oopsies. Ah, I don't, I'm not actually sure. Actually, fossil fuels. Right. Yeah, I th- just plug it in. <laughs> that's See, that's really the thing is that everybody, gosh, everybody in the around the world, everybody in the country wants the safest, cleanest planet possible. We all live, live here. Uh, the issue is is how realistic you are about it. And the fact that, you know, we don't have these solutions um, in terms in terms of alternative sources of energy and they're rushing towards them. I always remember when I was, you know, talking to the Keystone Pipeliners about what it felt like for them when John Kerry said and President Biden said this yesterday again, where he says he looks at renewables as jobs. When he thinks about renewables, he he thinks about jobs. What about all those people that lost their jobs? And then Kerry tells them to go uh, get jobs at wind farms. Code. Yeah, it's yeah. like, are you kidding me? Like they can just—they've been—they've been, they've been tr- training to be pipeliners for twenty-five years. They're highly experienced people in a very specific field. How would it feel for if somebody said that to him? Right, I like, just go get a job doing something else. Uh, no, I agree with you. Uh, let, let's move on to another area in which we both uh, care about. Elena Zelenska, not Zelensky. Yeah, Zelenska was here, the first lady of Ukraine, yesterday, and she's making it clear: I appreciate America, but we need the weapons. 
They are starting to retake some territory in Kyrgyzstan. There's a pause with this, with the Russians. Evidently, the more the, Ru- the Ukrainians are able to face off with the Russians, the more confident they feel. These uh, The men are ill-trained. Yeah. There are huge incentives to fight, but no one knows how to do it. Listen to what she said. Cut 39. I'm asking for something uh, now I would never want to ask. I'm asking for weapons. America, unfortunately, knows from its own experience what terrorist attacks are and has always sought to defeat terrorism. Help us to stop this terror against Ukrainians. And they need more HIMARS. They're making a yeah. huge difference. The long-distance artillery fire, who are, which, unlike the Russians, are very accurate. And uh, we also got news, too, that it looks like the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which was down for repairs by the Russians, is continuing to flow. The goal is to have Europe totally off. This is a huge... Uh, this is a huge chip for the Russians, but they only have it for a finite amount of time. Oh, the thing that I hate to read about the most is when you hear about how Russia is making more money than ever before on oil. And, you know, that's because of Western sanctions that caused this shortage in global supply. And then, oh, by the way, Russia can still sell their uh, oil at a cheaper rate to China and India. So they're making money hand over fist. And, yeah, I was reading that piece, in, um, Brian, in the Wall Street Journal that said that uh, the Nord Stream – pipeline is still pumping oil between Russia and Germany uh, after that brief pause, I think for just a momentary period in time before Germany finally gets itself away from Russian oil. But it's under so much pain because they are so reliant on Russian oil. And then you look at what's happening in our country right now. And, is you know, you think about what the Biden administration is doing. They're not learning that lesson from what's going on in Europe. No, they're not. And I'll bring something else up. The the the. Uh, getting off oil and gas is important, but we we, we could be heroes again. Yeah. We could be providing. We could set up energy terminal, terminals. I talked to David Sokol yesterday. who's an expert in the field, 40 years in energy. He says 18 months um, without a massive rush to get an LNG terminal into Europe. Can you imagine if we were already building the terminals into Europe? We could be their supplier, make some money. We could even give it to them for cost. And then we lose our supplier from here into eternity. And that makes so and much it's sense. it's natural gas. I know. I know. So it's... Better for the environment than anything else. Um, uh, uh, talking about um, Olena Zelinska's speech to Congress yesterday, it was really it was really sad. Uh, she talked about a four year old little girl who she met around Christmas time, and you know was it, so full of energy as all four year old little girls are, and she's dead now. Uh, she talked about a ninety six year old man who um, survived four concentration camps. Uh, during World War II is dead. The cover of the New York Post today shows a father mourning over the body of his 13-year-old son who just died in a missile strike. And I bring that all up because, you know, the um, U.S. media (laughs) doesn't talk about the war in Ukraine anymore, but that doesn't mean that the reality on the ground is any different. Did you hear um, the founder of Project Dynamo was on America's Newsroom yesterday? I'm sure you didn't hear because... Here. Because you're here. I saw he was on. Yeah, but um, he was saying that need for his services, rescuing people, is at an all-time high right now, and donations are at an all-time low just because the war isn't getting as much attention anymore. Um, And he's doing such incredible work. There are still Americans that are stuck in occupied territory. So what's it like in Mariupol and Kyrgyzstan? He says every single day is like another 9-11. I want to uh, bring you to Good news. Ukraine is starting to make some progress. They are starting to get some land back. And the first town, major city to fall was Kyrgyzstan. It's actually on a port city. So Michael Weiss, uh, a correspondent on another network, had this report, Cut 46. 
I was in Estonia just last week talking to their intel military officials. They believe a massive counteroffensive is being planned and will happen before the summer is out. Already you're beginning to see kind of shaping exercises or probing missions, I, I guess you'd call them. Uh, the Ukrainians struck a major bridge, the Antonovsky Bridge in Kherson, twice. Uh, I'm, I'm told that that's kind of a show of force, a kind of a foretaste of what, what is to come. Uh, the defense minister Reznikov had said, and you can take this uh, you know, with a pinch of salt, that Ukraine is standing up uh, a million soldiers to try and retake Kherson, the first major population center to fall to Russia uh, in this war. And I spoke also to the former, well, actually the current uh, foreign minister, Kuleba, who said, look, you know, all eyes are on Donbass and the east, but really the south of this country Jonathan is the more strategically and economically essential for Ukraine. I mean, this is where the Ukrainians ship all their grain. There are a lot of um, industries in the South that essentially help prop up domestic economy uh, in, in, in Ukraine. So Kherson, I think, is 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 really the uh, the major prize for the Ukrainians. And if they can pull that off, then they will have demonstrated that not only can they defend well, but they can indeed go on the, the attack when, when is necessary. And I think the West needs to see them go on the attack. They need to see the Russians begin to bleed and pay the price. People need to know they've already lost minimum 15,000 troops and it's supposed to be triple that in terms of wounded. Yeah, Russian? Russians. Troops, I think that, yeah. I was reading that Ukraine has lost around that amount but less, fewer troops. Um, and then, yeah, the Kyrgyzstan is important because it borders Crimea, so it, you know, which has been occupied by Russia since – since 2014. So that bridge that they damaged, they didn't entirely take it out. Um, but it, it there right now, Russian tanks and fuel trucks can no longer safely cross that area. That's important because that was the only bridge that allowed uh, Russian supplies to get into Kyrgyzstan. So now it's been damaged. And it was damaged, by the way, by those HIMAR rocket systems. Uh, the U.S. has sent 12 to Ukraine so far, and, and four more are on their way. But they're apparently more effective than anything Russia has right now. Right now, you see U.S. senior officials, according to the Washington Post, are weighing, considering whether to provide Ukraine with brand new fighter jets and training needed to operate them. They provide fighter jets. This escalates, and we they have the they have the pilots. They just know the MiGs. We could teach them this, and there's a lot of simulator simulators, and I'm very curious Remember because that at this point, whole thing that happened with the jets, the outdated the jets, yeah. Can you believe that 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 even happened? That was even a question. But that's this administration, and that's this Pentagon. They are po- politicians; they're not leaders. I know. General Milley, General Austin, biggest letdown in modern America. These generals, put your stars down, guys. You you've earned this. You have a good salary. They're asking you to do things that you know are wrong, and you do them anyway. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, there are some people in the U.S. that say we're sending too much money to Ukraine. But when we think about it, you know, Russia and China controlling, uh, you know, the foreign policy front and the, the shape of the way the world works, that that's not America first. Thank you, Carly. I, I'm not saying I thank you because you agree with me. I'm thanking you because you agree with me, though. <laughs> Uh, if you didn't, I'd still thank you. But stick around. We have a few more minutes with Carly just to finish up this hour. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The president's non-emergency press conference was in Massachusetts in front of what appeared to be the bleakest, most desolate spot on planet Earth because nothing says everything's fine 
like a dehydrated septuagenarian broadcasting from the set of Mad Max Fury Road. So that was that was a little of Stephen Colbert last night. They're beginning to turn on him a little. Hey, by any chance, Eric, do you have Dana Carvey from the other night? Because we were just noticing on late night television, Carly Shimkus, that like Dana Carvey had reminded me a little of Jay Leno, equal opportunity offender. He's filling in for Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. And listen to this. But Biden came out as a really sleepy, sweet grandpa. And he was like, he's always repeating this story. Yeah, yeah I went to Scranton. Scranton I'm going to Scranton, Pennsylvania. My dad. My dad lost his job. No joke. I'm not kidding around here. No, no human being in the world thinks that's a joke. Nobody. Is anybody? I lost his job. And then, yeah, my dad, like, then he would do the number thing. Number one, the one part. Number two, what the guy said. Number three, you know the drill. Come on. <laughs> no, we don't. So, yeah. Now what he does is he kind of whispers and then he yells. If you know, I think it's a wonderful move. Don't you love it when he's like, we know how to get natural gas. Because we can get it. We know how to get it. That's what we do. We get the people, the private, the public, the private. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> uh, Dana Carvey is hilarious. He's the best at impersonations. Uh, he nailed all the things that all of my pet peeves with Joe Biden's speech, the, the whisper yell thing, and then the it's not a joke. The it's not a joke has ramped up to the max. Never says it. it he always says it's not a joke I, now. I it's not it's not a joke. Everybody knows that you're not joking, sir. Not hyperbole. It's yeah. It's it's not a not joke. hyperbole. Yeah. Um. I I I was reading something about how late night. Comedians are kind of going after Biden more, but it's with a level of reverence still. I know. So uh, it's not like full on. But, the, but I'll take anything at this point because <laughs> I, I'm dying for comedy. But that what he just did is like what it, – it, that's like an acceptable level of you know mocking a president as opposed to just pure unbridled vitriol right. towards the former Trump, president. Trump sucks. Which is like wasn't yeah. funny unless you are a Democrat and then it, you cut out half the country. But what I, are they doing? Girl, good point. <laughs> What are they doing? What are you what? doing? What are they... Come on, folks. You know what? Come it, on, man. It is a joke for them. It's all a joke. Come on, Jack. Uh, Carly Shimkus, I will see you tomorrow in the morning. All right, I'm going to go ahead and shake some air. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, and hopefully in the Ukraine. We'll talk about that war in a moment. Senator Marsha Blackburn at the bottom of the hour. That was the President of the United States. Let everybody know we're in a climate emergency. Really? I think we're in an energy emergency. I'll give you that. How we, why we're not using our own energy, but it looks like the Democrats couldn't be any further away from coming to that conclusion. So we'll talk to her about that. Keep in mind, you can always get the podcast. If you have to miss our show live, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, wherever you get your podcast, uh, it will pop up. So before we get to the congressman from Florida, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tonight, CNN is first to report the federal investigation into Hunter Biden's business activities has reached a critical juncture. Sources say investigators are now weighing possible charges. Really? 
Uh, CNN had it, Fox had it, but you can take credit for it. D-Day for Hunter, a four-year investigation into his illicit hijinks featuring international trade deals, tax evasion, hookers, guns, and drugs may be coming to a close. Are you confident justice will be served? I'll ask the congressman. Number two. The border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Really? The border's secure? Is this is this guy serious about to boil over? That's what's finally happening with our broken border as mayors are speaking out as hundreds of thousands pour into our country illegally. But Democratic mayors have to deal with it and the social stress on their cities. Meanwhile, Biden and company sing that song titled Denial. Number one. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer and why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Really? Another gaftastic tone-deaf speech from President Biden as he tries to take our attention away from gas prices, inflation, and look at climate change, which will benefit China as we try to get their solar panels and their hydroelectric uh, heating units. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is The Big Three. So let's now go to Congressman Michael Waltz. He is House Armed Services Committee member. Congressman, there's so much to dig into. First off, are you surprised that now we're getting Mayor Adams, as uh, as well as the mayor of Washington, D.C., saying, excuse me, can I get some federal help? I have tens of thousands of legal immigrants here straining my homeless shelters. Yeah, you know, I mean, all of the uh, border town mayors, many of them Democrats, are, you know, have to be saying, welcome to my world, uh, to, to D.C. and New York. And, the, the, you know, they're trying to br- blame Governor Abbott and Governor Ducey in Arizona. Uh, I, I think Abbott's maybe sent five, six busloads over there, more as a you know a show of symbolism. Uh, but really, these folks are coming uh, as part of the federal program. They get processed by uh, the Border Patrol. They get handed over to Health and Human Services. They get handed over to various charities, and they're distributed all over America. So, so again, you know, welcome, uh, welcome to what a border town feels like. This is a national problem, Brian. I don't know. How we, you know, how long we can bang our head against uh, this issue, but the Biden administration is literally doing nothing about it. And then you've got a Secretary of uh, of Homeland Security just lying to the, just blatantly lying to the American people. I don't know if he's just that ignorant or that dumb. Hmm. Uh, Tom Holman tells me he's not ignorant. He knows exactly what he's doing, but he thinks we're dumb and he thinks we're ignorant. So uh, a couple of things. Well, Brian, just on that, I mean, you've had 130 Republicans now sign a letter that is essentially laying the ground for impeachment and laying uh, and and, and laying that out of Mayorkas. Uh, And and come uh, this November, I think you're going to see a big push along those lines. It's absolutely dereliction of duty. Uh, But I I, I give you credit for doing something. Killing Americans. Congressman, I give you credit for doing something because what else can you do? But it's it's not necessarily his policies. This is the president. He does. He wants this to happen. In the beginning, I was the last person to say, I go, who would want such a political loser that hurts the country's security after all these years serving? Would he really be to the 10th power to the to the left of Obama? Yeah. And the answer I, I've concluded is yes. So whoever they put in there next, I think will be just as horrendous. And certainly the vice president it couldn't be couldn't be more of an embarrassment. But, Brian, they see it as a political winner in the, in the long term. They believe these people 
uh, you know, whether it's in a couple of years from now or 10 years from now, will end up voting for them. Uh, and, and we have multiple clips. You have Biden during on the campaign trail saying, come on, man, you can't tell me that the United States of America can absorb three, four million people. Well, the mayor of New York and D.C. are now saying no. And then we re- remember the famous, you know, all of the Democrat contenders, all of them, some of them painting themselves as moderate, raising their hand when they said everybody coming across that border should have free taxpayer-funded health care. So uh, you know, th- they don't see this as a loser. They see this as a winner, uh, but it's a loser for America. And, uh, and you know, you look at the latest polling, when you're seeing 19 percent approval rate amongst Hispanics for this administration, uh, I think they're going to get a real wake-up call in November. I have to. I, I really hope so. Uh, meanwhile, let's pivot to something that you're passionate about, and that's the Ukrainians winning this war against Russia. Elena Zelenska yeah. spoke yesterday on Capitol Hill, cut 39. I'm asking for something uh, now I would never want to ask. I am asking for weapons. America, unfortunately, knows from its own experience what terrorist attacks are and has always sought to defeat terrorism. Help us to stop this terror against Ukrainians. Talking to a Ukrainian official yesterday, we've only got they've only received about 40 percent of what we promised. And we don't he doesn't know where the rest is. And the HIMARS is effective. There's not enough. And there's a report today that we're considering, along with our allies, sending over fighter jets. What do you want to take first? Tell me what the latest you've heard. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, just once again, uh, what if they had had those HIMARS in the beginning, like they were asking for, along with long-range artillery, harpoon anti-ship missiles to defend their ports, and, and stingers? If they had had all of those things last year, perhaps we wouldn't have even had an invasion in the, in the first place, but Russia would be even in a worse spot, and how many tens of thousands of Ukrainians would still be alive? So once again, even though so many of us have been demanding, give them the jets, now finally the administration's coming around is just constantly this constant foot dragging to finally check a box and it, you know, that they could say they did something and it goes in too little, too late. Brian, I'm, here's a couple of things I'm worried about. I'm worried that we don't have uh, sufficient oversight of the billions worth of weapons that we're pushing in. We're pushing this stuff across the border. Some of our allies have some of their special operations troops actually in Ukraine. We do not. Uh, And uh, we need – I'm not talking about thousands of boots on the ground. I'm not talking about any Americans on the front line. But I do think it would be smart to get some advisors at a high level in the Ukrainian command and their logistics depots and their supply system to understand – where this stuff is going, who's getting it, how's it's being used. The Europeans need to step up and do a heck of a lot more, and we should be hearing that from the commander-in-chief. America, once again, is taking way too much of this burden. Uh, but then finally, you know, what's the long-term strategy? You've got Milly going from Ukraine uh, is going to fall in three days to now it's going to be a years-long war of attrition. Well, what is our long-term plan, and what does success look like? What are we prepared to help Ukraine to do? So I'm I'm hoping to get over there soon uh, and dig into all of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the chances? Have you heard any sub- substance behind the fighter jet story? Uh, I, yes, but it, but that's been trickling along since, you know, the whole issue of the MiG blew up, that the Pentagon is thinking about it, looking at it, studying it. Uh, so I think they're going to study this thing to death. Uh, it, they're just an analysis paralysis over there. There's a big gulf, Brian, between what the Pentagon wants to do and what the administration 
is allowing them to do, and you get constant you know, uh, uh, tapping of the brakes on everything uh, from this administration because Putin has effectively deterred Biden. Um, in a way, but, you know, the fact that they got high Mars showed that we are giving a little bit, right? I mean, the fact that we continue yep. to send. So I think that he sees vulnerability, uh, but he just doesn't want to commit all the way, which is the worst sign of leadership, period. Go ahead and win. You see what he's yep. capable of and not capable of. Go and do it. Open up the Black Sea. You provide the escort. Go do it. This guy was just blown off by Turkey yesterday. What did Erdogan leave him waiting for about an hour? And then he's yeah. got he's got two friends in the world. Come on. Well, but but Brian, it's this strategy of playing not to lose. You know, we're giving Ukraine just enough to not get overrun, but not to actually take back their country. Uh, and, and, and win and be successful. And the problem is uh, Russia is eventually going to get exhausted. Good. That we're going to settle into trench warfare like we did in 2014. Uh, and then, you know, Putin's going to lick his wounds and, we're, and he's going to be right back at it uh, a couple of years from now. His foreign minister said blatantly yesterday that we want more of Ukraine than just the Donbass. Uh, they want Odessa. They want the Black Sea. And if they don't get it this year, then they'll re- be right back at it two, three, four years from now. Uh, and that's why this is the time when Rush- the Russian military is at its weakest to help Ukraine go on the offense. But this administration is just scared of uh, its own shadow and Putin's shadow. Uh, I have to say, I know you're talking about Lavrov saying that, that they've, they've up there, but they also lost to town yesterday. And I understand there's some promises they try to take back Kyrgyzstan. What can you tell yep. me about that? Well, I'm actually on my way to get some briefings on that now. I can just tell you with 26 years in the military, uh, going on the offensive is infinitely harder. You need about three times the forces, combined arms warfare, You know, pulling together uh, your various types of land forces, your long-range artillery, your air support uh, is, is much, much more difficult. Uh, that said, what I'm looking to dig into is how weak are the Russians in the south you know, how much have they put all their eggs in the uh, in one basket in the east? And is there truly opportunity there? Um, I'll have to go get some briefings and see and come back to you. All right. That'll be great. And, Congressman, lastly, I, I believe that there is there's a lot of movement up front right now on the political on the political front for uh, the president of the United States. Do you get the sense, the former president of the United States, do you get the sense, even though January 6th is tonight, I think for the most part, people are either con- convinced or not convinced of his role he played. Are you convinced the president's going to be running again? Uh, I believe President and, and uh, yes, I believe President Trump is going to is going to run again. I think he believes that he can dig America out of this hole uh, that the progressives are digging us into. Uh, I hope he casts a forward looking vision uh, because his policies were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for and, and great for the country and great for the world for what he got done, uh, everything from justice reform to securing our border to the shift towards China, making uh, NATO accountable and Middle East peace, uh, uh, tax reform. I mean, it was incredible. But we've got to look forward and cast that vision. That's what voters want to hear. And, and I certainly am encouraging him to do that. Your hunch, uh, Mitch McConnell says the Republicans will have a crowded field. Do you believe that, whether the president runs or not, it'll be a crowded field? Uh, I think you'll have a couple run against uh, President Trump, but um, I, I think he absolutely uh, still is, is the leader of the Republican Party and has a very firm base behind him. Uh, so, you know, we'll see, Brian, but I think the voters are desperate 
to, uh, to, to get us out of these policies. And I think a lot of people are looking at who can beat Biden. Uh, and and we, we've got to beat them. My concern, I hope the president announces after uh, the midterms, uh, only because it'll give the media every excuse that they're dying for to not talk about Biden and the failures of the left and to talk about uh, and to talk about Trump. Will you so, tell him that? Uh, what's that? Will you tell the president yes. that? Yes. Yes. I hope. Uh, look, I, I certainly uh, support him. Uh, uh, running and and moving forward, but I hope he waits until after the midterm so that we can we can actually present to the country the failures of the left. And it's amazing to watch the media, mainstream media, reluctantly foot dragging, you know, hand wringing, have to cover just how bad Biden uh, and the left are. Uh, and and that's what I want. You know, I hope is the focus. And then we shift to 24 and casting a forward vision to get out, get us out of this mess. He is uh, always great to uh, talk to somebody who's got his hands in so much because it matters so much. Congressman Michael Waltz, you're in it for the right reason. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're in the fight. Thanks, Brian. Go get him. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, your turn. one 408 7669 I have not had a chance to take calls. I feel bad about that. We'll do it. Then Senator Marsha Blackburn will weigh in, uh, and she'll talk about what the president's climate emergency actually could mean as soon as next week. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. New newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show right now. I'll take calls in a second. This just came across. President's test positive for COVID. Uh, so I'm not sure what variant he's got. They're not making that clear. Taking Paxifil. He's got mild symptoms. President, uh, they have alerting everybody that was with him. I imagine everybody on the plane yesterday that went down to Massachusetts. He did test positive on Tuesday. Obviously, he had that speech on Wednesday. He didn't do anything, as far as I know, Monday and Tuesday. Nothing on the public schedule. And then he is scheduled, and I wrote this down, and I'm not really going over it, just in case. I like to write down what, what the president's doing today. Today, he was supposed to deliver remarks on a bipartisan Safer Communities Act. I don't think that's happening. Uh, that's this afternoon. And then he was going to go to Philadelphia to do that. Then he was going to Delaware. Now he's going to Delaware right away. He will not be an in-person working until he tests negative. Then he'll go back. So he's got Paxaville. Remember when the when President Trump got it, we didn't even know what that, you know, we didn't know much about COVID-19. And it was not the variant yet. And then he went over, wasn't feeling good. And, you know, he went over to the hospital. People wonder how serious it was. Spent a couple of days there, all the drama that was around that. And now this is a lot different. We know a lot more. Now we're three variant, four variants in. And we don't know what it means, but it's uh, it is spreading, no doubt about it. And but we know how to handle it better. We're not using ventilators. We're not doing a lot of the other things. Where uh, I know a very important person just got uh, the antibodies, and they were back in 24 hours. I'm not sure why we're not doing more of that. Uh, let's go to the phones right now. Eric, listen to Orlando. Hey, Eric. Great show as usual, Brian. Um, when you touched on Biden earlier. Um, well, I don't believe that you just put your windshield wipers on and it clears the oil off the windshield because I live in New Jersey and it's just not that easy. But um, do you think his announcement, they were key, do you think he really has cancer and they were telling him to keep it quiet? And now he says he has cancer and that's the soft out they've been looking for to get him to not to run your thing on all this. I, I think he misspoke. 
I, I think he just misspoke. I, I don't think there's anything more than that. And I just don't think, I think he's not thinking clearly. And he tried to ad lib off the prompter yesterday and tried to humanize and, and show some passion for a subject. Maybe he feels, I'm not sure where this new green, how the green wing of the party captured him a few years ago. But he believes that it makes sense for him with, with, with inflation at 9% to go to an abandoned plant where people's livelihoods were lost, where a town was destroyed because of the end of a coal plant, where the wind, uh, where the wind, uh, wind manufacturing was supposed to be in place already but hasn't been. To make the speech he did yesterday, so he wants to humanize and talk about the importance. And uh, I think he said, well, my friends got cancer and I got cancer. And then you heard what happened. I do not think that's a master plan behind it, but I, because I think it was a huge distraction when they had to walk it back. Senator Marshall Blackburn's next. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmichill. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We all know that uh, no administration, no policymaker, uh, no president directly controls the price of gas or the price of oil. But there have been another measure, uh, a number of measures that we think are helping. We're seeing uh, gas get uh, back below $4 in most states. That's encouraging. Uh, I have noticed that the price of oil is falling more quickly than the price of gas, which uh, we continue to have questions about. Really? Is that really how it works? You also took a bow a little bit later because you believe that you that President Biden's great policies are dropping 40 percent, 40 cents on the gallon. But if the price goes up, he does not want any discredit because no president can control the price of gas. Unbelievable. Also, let's blame the gas station owners because those billionaires are just had it too good for too long. Senator Marsha Blackburn's with us right now. Uh, Senator, first off, your reaction to the President Biden uh, experiencing mild symptoms, testing positive for COVID. We would wish the president a speedy recovery from COVID. And, you know, I think that he is like millions of Americans that got double vaxxed, double boosted, and now they're experiencing COVID, and they realize that this is not going to keep you from getting COVID and getting this current strand. Right. Uh, And that's why I think even Dr. Fauci says if you look at the overall, he didn't use these terms, but I think the effectiveness of the of the vaccine is down below 50%. It was at 95% when it first came out because the because one of the reasons is the variances have morphed. So the whole mandate on vaccines, wherever you are, big or small companies, the army, the the firefighters, the nurses in New York city, the national guard, you have to (laughs) revisit that policy. Well, and that's why I filed that legislation that would eliminate the ability of DOD to use taxpayer funds to fire our 40,000 guardsmen and women and our 20,000 reservists because we know that being double vaxxed, double boosted does not keep you from getting COVID. Okay. Uh, We covered that. We'll look for the president. He's taken Paxil. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. We'll we'll follow it, and he will be working from home. But he was heading to go to he was going to Delaware anyway today. Uh, Senator, I could not believe the speech he gave yesterday. Out of everything going on with inflation, 
uh, with the worry about interest rates that's supposed to counter inflation, that's affecting everybody at the housing market, which is sending it in the wrong direction, understood that maybe this is the way the Fed wants to ameliorate the situation. And then with oil and gas at all-time highs and it being threatened by Europe, instead of us trying to bail out Europe, we are going to declare uh, a, a state of emergency, perhaps, when it comes to climate change. And, you know, the thing, Brian, is all of this war on energy that brought, that Biden declared when he went into office, look at what this has done to us. And now he's going to do a climate emergency, which is going to make it even more difficult for our oil and gas industry. And out of the 69 major regulations that he has done since he took office, 42 of these are aimed at the energy industry that make it more difficult to them. And now he's going to go by executive order because he can't get Congress to do what he wants. So he decides he's going to take it on his own and he is going to declare this emergency and implement the Green New Deal by executive fiat. What do you think he will do? Because I don't even think he he knows he can't do that. You know, he you know, he cannot um, he cannot do everything that AOC outlined six years ago uh, on the Capitol steps after she left as a bartender, took the apron off and then told me about this elaborate plan. I'm sure she thought it up on the back of a napkin. But if she wants to do that plan, he can't. So having said that, what can we expect besides massive spending on subsidies to buy electric cars? You're going to see that push for electric vehicles, but bear in mind, we don't have the infrastructure to support an electric fleet. Our electric power generators cannot generate that capacity at this point. You're going to have to use natural gas or coal or nuclear. It's not all going to come from wind and solar. He probably is also going to try to force the the corporate community to move toward a certain amount of renewable energy, carbon credits, things of that nature, that there again, he can't get Congress to act on those things. So he's going to try to do that. But bear in mind, Brian, every time he takes a step to implement the Green New Deal, who is he bolstering? What economy is he bolstering? China. It is out of the Communist Chinese Party because of solar panels, lithium batteries, things that they've really cornered the market on. Uh, the problem that they have is Joe Manchin, they claim, although you tell me, Senator, I think he might be blocking for other senators. Uh, Mark Kelly knows if he votes for a lot of this crap, the people of Arizona are going to run from him. So he'll probably have to make a hard vote. Uh, you'll have Senator Tester, some have brought up, Senator Warner of others have brought up, the so-called moderates that don't want to say Senator Sinema. Uh, yeah, who Cortez are some of the senators? Mesto, Hassan, that, yeah. So, do you believe that some of them would line up behind Manchin? Just Manchin has to take all the slings and arrows. Yes, I think they're hiding in the high grass and letting Joe Manchin stand there and take this because they do not want to take those votes. Uh, you look at some of the polling in these races, Brian, and they don't want these votes. They know with Nevada and Arizona and New Hampshire and Georgia. If they take these votes, that they are going to lose. Here is um, here is the president of the United States yesterday. Cut six. We're going to build a different future. With one, one with clean energy, good paying jobs, 
Just 15 years ago, Americans generated more than half its electricity from coal, coal-fired plants. Today, that's down to 20 percent because there's a big transition happening. Many of these fossil fuel plants are becoming sites for new clean energy construction. Others are switching to new clean technologies. So he says the, the transition's already happening. Well, in his mind, it is. And bear in mind that the people that surround him in the White House are telling him, hey, you're doing great. And we're getting the price of a gallon of gas down. And we are pushing forward with these initiatives. When I'm in Tennessee, Brian, when I talk with Tennesseans, they are absolutely scared to death of what is coming next because of the inflation, because of that open border crisis. I'm in the streets, drugs that are flooding communities. They see things as being out of control. The spending is out of control. They can't fill up the tank and go to the grocery store and fill up the grocery cart in the same day. That is how much the cost of living is accelerating. And people are looking at this and saying, we don't want whatever it is you're trying to transition us to, whether it's the Green New Deal, whether it is a socialist government, a socialist economy. We don't want it. We don't like it. And I hear people say every single day, I sure miss President Donald Trump. Um, Do you think the president's going to be running again and announcing before Election Day? I have no idea. I have no idea. I do know that people are sick of what this administration is pushing them. They're crushing people. They're crushing families, families that are working two and three jobs to try to make ends meet, trying to buy school supplies now to get kids ready to go back to school. And the cost of everything is going up. And our county governments, Brian, I visit with all 95 of my counties in Tennessee, every one of them mayors, sheriffs, uh, school superintendents to keep the sheriff cars going and the ambulances running and EMS responding and school buses picking up and dropping off children, heating and cooling buildings. They're having to do away with other services that people in the community want to see, and they're doing it because they have to balance their budget. And they don't have the money right now because the price of a gallon of gas has doubled. Here is uh, another major issue uh, real quick. I wanted to get you on the record. By the way, the president has tested positive for COVID-19. He's got mild. Actually, uh, for COVID, I do not know what variant he has. I don't know if they're going to release that information. He took Paxil and is at home. Uh, but he mild symptoms. Are saying. Say that again, uh, Pete. Okay. Uh, actually, you have to run. But I just want you to hear this. Cut 30. The border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. He is, is he lying? Or does he really think that? That's Mayorkas, well, the HHS secretary. Yeah. You know, what is so interesting to me is when the Border Patrol responded to this saying, he is lying and anybody that believes this is a fool. 
Now, that is coming from the Border Patrol that is down there working double shifts overtime every day in 103-degree heat trying to protect this country. And they hear the secretary say this. They know better. The American people know better because they can go online. They can go to foxnews.com. They can look at footage of people walking across that border. They know the border is not secure. Senator, thanks so much. You have to run. You got it. Go get him. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, always standing up for the news break. She's always around. And we are following the story of the president. We hope he's okay. Uh, he's not young. And when older people, they, they should uh, be the ones that were uh, dealt with first. And Florida did that right away. That's what Governor DeSantis said. It's much more dangerous for our senior community. I have a lot of retirees. Let's handle them immediately. Let's make sure they all get shots first. Let's not pretend that an 8-year-old is the same as an 80-year-old. So let's see how he does. Now, keep in mind, I believe President Biden's the same age as Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci got four shots, took Paxil, uh, got over it, and then he came back again. So four-shot Fauci, I believe we have four-shot president. We'll see how it goes, and then we'll learn from how elite a medical care takes care of those with a disease that does not know uh, class or gender or pronoun. Brian Kilmeade. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mission largely accomplished. For now, I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. I want to thank all the wonderful staff of the House of Commons. I want to thank all my friends and colleagues. I want to thank my rival friend uh, opposite, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I want to thank everybody here and hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. This guy's a character. My goodness. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, I guess, I thought he was going to stick around to the fall. But Boris Johnson says, basically, I'm out of here. Uh, and he indicated, I watched the whole, a lot of the speech. I think he's coming back. I know they don't usually come back. Tony Blair, David Cameron, you don't see them anymore. Everybody, no one. Uh, Theresa May, no, they don't come back. They just disappear or they go into parliament somewhere. I think, he's, I think for sure he's going to come back, but we'll see who's going to be running England. But this is a totally self-inflicted wound. The guy had all the momentum. He came in with a great majority and a, a series of gaffes of partying during the pandemic, of, of uh, lying about it. Then pictures emerge. It shows he's lying and then putting some type of uh, molester guy into a position of power, saying he never knew about it. They said he for sure he was knowing about it. So they just said, listen, I, I can't take the lying. Also, I think he let down conservatives because he was not he was he was ruling a lot like a wokester. What I appreciate about Boris Johnson is one thing he said at the end. He said, stay close to America. Number one, always appreciate that sentiment. It's not prevalent enough. And number two, he was very good with Ukraine. He understand the importance and the threat of a powerful Russia to threaten the imbalance of Europe for generations. And we have a chance to stop them. We'll regret it forever if we don't. He saw that before uh, President Biden has seen that. And more fervently than President Biden has seen that. Uh, before, uh, before we left, I was talking a lot about this climate change. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. He's gotten four shots. He's gotten all the boosters, gets tested three times a week. We hope he's okay. But it goes to show you, too, the boosters, as well as the vaccine, uh, are not effective against this variant. I'm not sure we can make a variant 
anecdote and get it out to the people at a dizzying rate. I'm not saying that's easy, but I know one thing, being that we don't use the game plan for turbo, um, for, uh, you know, for the, the turbo way in which it was come the first time, Operation Warp Speed, this president doesn't want to do that. You know what that is? That's saying, okay, here's the variant. Uh, here are four companies. They think they can come up with a variant for it. We're going to buy uh, of, of five to ten million of these vaccines. Whoever wins and passes the study first, you get it. As you get approved, you get it. But we'll pay for it. So therefore, you unleash your scientists without any cost restraints. So until we get back to that flu shot way of handling this, because this is not a vaccine, we're going to look at a vaccine right now that's three variants shy of, of being able to stop this uh, COVID-19. And that's what's going to what, what I fear is what's happening in San Diego. I fear we're going to be hearing about uh, masks in school. School's not in session. Uh, it's too dangerous. Your kid tests positive by contact trace. Can't go play sports. All the stuff we dealt with for the last two years that we thought was in our rearview mirror last semester. I fear it's going to come back again. That's what I worry about. Uh, the other big thing is this climate change the president was talking about yesterday, which if it wasn't for his three major gaffes, we probably would have been talking about and debating. Staggered to see that 64 percent of Democrats think it's an urgent problem. 16 percent of Republicans think it's an urgent problem. Here's Mitch Landrew, who's in charge of infrastructure. You know, the money, the bipartisan deal that was passed. He's in charge of spending the money. He weighed in as senior advisor to the president. Cut 29. Well, first of all, you don't get to pick the controversies that are in front of you. The president has to deal with a lot of things at one time. It's not now. It's been with us for quite a long time. Today, 100 million people in the United States of America, if you go outside, are suffering from extreme heat. If you think about the wildfires that are coursing across the West, the hurricanes, we're in hurricane season uh, in the southern part of the country, the tornadoes. I think everybody knows that we have a challenge with the consequences of extreme weather, and this is not going to go away. It's going to get worse before it gets better unless we take significant action. Yeah, uh, we've always had tornadoes. We've always had flooding. We did have a tsunami a few years ago, haven't had one since. Uh, and has been pointed out by Tucker brilliantly last night, if everybody's so concerned about things washing away, why are all the rich people buying bigger and bigger compounds like the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, when they're together, they have these huge estates overlooking the ocean that's supposed to be swallowing up all our land. We have to be responsible in doing this. And for the so many experts to say this is settled science for the president to waste all our time yesterday, I think is just flat out insulting. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut 26. So I'm going to give him the benefit of this doubt. I don't think he understands the difference between a climate problem and a weather problem. OK, climate issues run, you know, 100 year cycles like um, one degree Celsius increase in uh, climate uh, since the end of the 19th century. OK, and there's nothing that's going to happen in the next five years or 10 years, despite all their obsessive, radical climate activism and so forth. Nothing's going to happen that's going to change these long run trends. And that's what drives people nuts. We want to change the way we live. We want to change what we drive, the way our homes are heated, the way we help out our allies in the time of economic strife, like what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, because of the green division in our country. I just don't think it matters. Uh, not right now. It's not urgency. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Get the podcast, Show.com.
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 This hour, we're going to be joined, I guess, in t- 10 minutes. We're going to do a simulcast with Harris Faulkner. At the bottom of the hour, Jerry Baker, who will also be on my show, One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, host of the Wall Street Journal, at large at 7.30. But for now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Tonight. CNN is first to report the federal investigation into Hunter Biden's business activities has reached a critical juncture. Sources say investigators are now weighing possible charges. Uh, There you go. D-Day for Hunter, a four-year investigation to his illicit hijinks featuring international trade deals, tax evasion, hookers, guns, drugs, uh, maybe coming to a close. Are you confident justice will be served? Number two. The border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Does anybody believe that? About to boil over. That's what exactly is happening with our border as mayors are speaking out, as hundreds of thousands pour into our country illegally, and their social justice system is being overwhelmed. Meanwhile, Biden and company sing that song titled Denial. Number one. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Another gaftastic tone-deaf speech for President Biden as he tries to take our attention away from gas prices and inflation and look at climate change, which will benefit China in the long run and hurt us certainly in the short run, maybe forever. And by the way, this is the news. COVID-19. Uh, we know is still out there. How do we know that? The president's just tested positive. He's had at least two booster shots. He's had been double vaxxed. And he, like Anthony Fauci, roughly the same age, and we wish him the best, have tested positive for it. So he is uh, has mild symptoms, reportedly. He's taking Paxil. I said that right, Eric? Paxil? Yeah. Paxlovid. Uh, Paxlovid. Uh, Paxil, I think, is anti-depression. Paxil is the antidepressant. Yeah, Paxil, yeah. So I gave every—I assigned the wrong drug to the president— And I assume either way, when you get it, you could be a little depressed. You might be able to take both. We're going to look into that. Pete, would you look into that? You have the medical background, right? Yeah, I just want to make sure I never go to for if I have any ailments, I'm not going to ask you for any advice. I'll give you a medicine that starts with P. That that, that sounds like something that will be effective. Um, Real quick, so what the president was saying yesterday is we need to switch towards uh, green energy. And it's an emergency. And there's no time to wait. And meanwhile... Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, is on Capitol Hill trying to get subsidies for electric cars while debating those. And he just can't get his head around the fact that people all don't want to make this transition. Cut 11. The sooner we can be focused on domestic, clean energy production uh, as leading the way in in the U.S. energy mix, the less we are confronted with uh, some of the the most confounding uh, questions of, uh, of, of geopolitical risk that come with the 20th century economy. I'm, I'm still astonished that, that some folks, uh, and, and I, I felt this, I was testifying in Congress yesterday, um, some folks seem to really uh, struggle to let go of the status quo. <laughs> Do you understand the average electric car at $65,000? Do you know the weight to get one? you know how many chips they need to do it? Did you see the story about they don't even know how much a new battery will cost? Estimates are a new battery on an electric car today 
built in 2022 engineering from, I guess, 2018 to 2021 to uh, from concept to uh, to manufacturing floor. They don't know. It costs as much as the car to replace. So maybe a Volt is between 20 and 30. But an F-150 is not the average price. I said it's in the 60s. Tesla's in the 70s. And that's for a stripped-down version. So he goes, doesn't understand why we're holding on to it. Because have you, dri- have you got on a highway and looked left and right? Not everybody's got a free, a, a cushy government job. Not everyone went to an Ivy League school. Uh, not everyone had various investments that allows them to live a life that is not paycheck to paycheck. So if you want them to transition to something they plug in, number one, they need a place to find it. There's only 6,000. Number two, it's got to be affordable. Number three, what do we do with our old car? We're going to do a cash for clunkers? That was absolutely a disaster. So when it comes to the prices of of gallons of gas, I'm amazed at the administration, Jared Bernstein, Pete Buttigieg, and others, Brian Deese taking a bow because we've lost 40 cents on the gallon. I like that it's going in the right direction. But I also notice that it starts with the barrel of oil, and then it gets refined down to gas. And then where is it going to come from, and what's the distance it's going to travel? And, and when that ship comes over, it's going to use diesel, and diesel's going to cost more. It's $108 per barrel. It was dropping under 100 when the gas prices dropped. Pete Buttigieg, on the cost of gas, cut 12. We all know that uh, no administration, no policymaker, uh, no president directly controls the price of gas or the price of oil. But there have been another measure, uh, a number of measures that we think are helping. We're seeing uh, gas get uh, back below $4 in most states. That's encouraging. Uh, I have noticed that the price of oil is falling more quickly than the price of gas, which uh, we continue to have questions about. Uh, there you go. Uh, the, <laughs> they have questions about. So what are you saying? Are you saying the gas t- – the president said this directly as laughable. The gas stations are gouging. You know it's a free market. And if Bill Jones of Mobile has his – you know, the rich uh, – the billionaire mobile station owner who has got to sell Clark bars and Reese's peanut butter cups in order to make a profit and Slim Jims, you know those horrible, selfish millionaire gas station owners? If he has ga- gas for 490 and it really could be 470 the BP station down the street owned by another mogul will put it at 470 and we'll get all the business. The free market takes care of that. And what are your questions about it? They are getting oil companies getting windfall profit, more profits because they're not allowed to produce more because it's not possible. So when the price of oil goes up, they're not able to increase production because the president would do anything's asked. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're about to do a simulcast on FBM, the number one TV network in the world. Uh, we'll take it to the bottom of the hour, and uh, then we'll be able to take your calls at one 408 7669 Gerard Baker then will uh, join me, I should say, and then at 45, I'll be able to take your calls. So that'll be great. And if you want to write me so you get on board, I'll be sure to read it. Uh, put that in the subject column, but just go to briankilmeade.com. And click on comments as well as questions. Uh, a couple other things. Just got an announcement. If you're in the New York area, Newark, I'm going to be in Newark, New Jersey, on stage uh, talking about what made America great. It's uh, one of these going to be broadcast, I am sure, on uh, Fox Nation. And I'm going to go live there. 
And it's going to be what I think is going to be four great shows. It's going to be rediscovering our patriotism, going over uh, through my books, America's Real Past, and Pushback Against 1619. But, well, one of the things I'd have to say is that uh, in Newark, New Jersey, I'll be there August 27th. Then on September 8th in Albany, New York, I want you to be there at The Egg. And then in November 12th and 13th, in November 12th, it'll be in Brandon, Mississippi, City Hall Live, and then November 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG listeners. I hope we'll have a chance to catch up with me. Just go to briankillme.com, reserve your tickets. What I like best is if you could do the VIP. I love meeting people before, and then I'll try to do some stuff after. But to be able to spend some quality time before the show, to me, is pretty cool. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to do that. So go to briankillme.com. The prison freedom fighter, Thomas Jefferson and Tripoli Pirates, George Washington Secret Six, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, have a chance to move through time, great moments in American history that I don't think get enough attention. And we'll talk about that. Uh, A couple of things we are covering this story. There's not much to cover, but it's definitely noteworthy. The world reacts, and usually the market reacts. It's down 177 points right now. I'm not sure it reacted uh, definitively when this word came out, but the word is this. The president is test positive, COVID-19 uh, and uh, we'll see where that goes from here. He's being treated mild symptoms. Let's listen in. Continues. Far-left Democrats arrested outside the U.S. Supreme Court, some of them now defending their actions. Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney is actually fundraising off of the antics and boasting about it. There is no democracy unless we can make decisions over our own bodies, including health care and reproductive health care. 33 million American women are about to lose those rights or already have lost those rights. The least that we could do is put our own bodies on the line to protest what is happening. Well, the incident sparked a Twitter battle between lawmakers. Republican Nancy Mays called out theatrics, tweeting politics has become performative art. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman of New York, or from New York, says no faking here. And now we are learning who set up the whole drama. A Washington Examiner headline read this way. AOC and Ilhan Omar coordinated Supreme Court arrests, stunt, with Soros-funded dark money group. Brian Kilmeade, Fox & Friends co-host and host of One Nation. Brian, your reaction. My reaction is this. Sometimes people overuse Soros, the name Soros. Everything that goes wrong, there's something underneath it. There's something sinister. It has to be George Soros. But this indeed seems to be the case. I mean, he's behind so much of what's going on with our broken border. He's behind so much what's going on with our criminal justice system, with uh, these DAs who are woke and willing to get tossed out, uh, to get tossed out of their jobs and humiliated. And Jessa Bodine's case, he's actually talking about a comeback uh, in order to give somebody else's agenda. So what happens is what he's been doing is funding situations that really have no competition. Not many people are pouring money into the D.A. situation. Not many people are trying to foster the breaking of our border. Not, you know, it's not like you're going into the presidency where everyone puts trillions of dollars, millions of dollars in. But I'll add this. It does not surprise me he's behind it. But I don't think it's too wise. Roe v. Wade, America was ready for the overturn of Roe v. Wade months ago. And then when it finally happened, it was a huge move. And it's still going to be an issue, obviously. It's been in place since 1973. But out of nowhere, the beginning of the week, he sent some of his high-profile squad members who are famous only in their own world because they do such sensationalistic, anti-American things on a regular basis. And then he gets them arrested. Guess what the story is? We're not talking about Roe v. Wade. We're talking about them That's pretending a good point. to be arrested. Yeah. That, to me, it, it, 
Not well executed, Mr. Soros. Use well, different actors and actresses. Apparently, when you pull something like this off, it's um, BYOC, bring your own cuffs. Because when they arrested these women, part of the performance that people are talking about and, and, the, and the, the ratio that, that flew on Twitter against them was that, you know, I mean, AOC is faking that she has handcuffs. She's not. Somebody waved her in the crowd and she, she waved her fist and, because there's nothing on her hands because she's not really being carted off in cuffs. None of them were. And, and you could see them faking this. And she says, nothing fake here. All of it was fake. And now that we know that it was paid for, it was fake, it was expensive, and as you just pointed out, probably pretty ineffective. But not for them and not for their, you know, Twitter feeds. It, it furthered their cause. Right. Um, I do want to get to something you said, though, because you talked about Chesa Bodine. And some of these DAs who live in municipalities and, and states where they can be recalled. Uh, the audacity of them after a recall. Boudin, recalled, going to try to run again. But here in New York, you can't do anything about Alvin Bragg. There are places in this country where people are just stuck with these liberal DAs. And not to make it too much about this, but, but really, how much money are we talking from Soros? Like, how long is this going to go on? I think it's going to go on until the American people, to the Democratic Party and independents, let them know they're not going to tolerate it anymore. And I think it has a lot to do with the midterm elections. But if you look at the big picture, Harris, which I know that's basically what you uh, pride your career on, it's not just about the DAs. It's not just about Roe v. Wade. It's not just about the 1619 Project. It's not just about the border. It's about all those things. And what do they all have in common along with this new Green Deal agenda? They're anti-American. They make us weaker. You put four million people here who know nothing about the country, I, more, more than likely, and you just put them into our system that's already overtaxed, it hurts. When you look at our foundation and you want to unearth us from the roots, you tell everyone we're built on clay or a sheet of paper mache, and that's what they're trying to do with the 1619 Project. Because our founding fathers weren't perfect men, I have not met a perfect person yet. I'm still looking. And then when you talk about ripping apart our society, it is law and order. It seems to be an organized, orchestrated plan to take America out from within because nobody has a shot from taking us out from the outside. We believed that early on as a country, even before we were the economic and military superpower. So this is decades in the making, but mm. I feel like it's all coming to a head now unless we sober up so, and realize this is a five-alarm fire. Really, really quick here. What is the, the opposite of where we are now? The pendulum is going to come back. 111 days from now, we don't know what it's going to look like, look like after midterm elections, but there is not a poll out there that shows that the Democrats are not going to lose some seats. I mean, clearly, it happens with every presidency at midterm. But what, what will it look like after? What are Republicans really prepared to do right now? Uh, uh, it looks like it's, I haven't seen any scenario where they don't win the House. I think matchups make fights in sports. I think matchups make fights in Senate races. So you can't say this is where the public is, a couple of points. But it's who's Kelly, uh, Senator Kelly, going to go up against? Who is Hassan going up against? Can Herschel Walker step up to the moment? Uh, can you actually get a can you, I can't pull off a win in Nevada? So as much as the country might be somewhere, when it comes to that state, they're going to mm. see who's better. So it's mm -hmm. the how hard do these candidates want to go to school to learn the issues? And how good are they on the stump to sell their cause? Because the Democrats are making it easier by the day on pure performance. And it's not so much bad or it's not so much right or left. It's right and wrong. Brian Kilmeade, thank you so much. We got to simulcast your show and mine. Simulcasting. Fun. Always and good to have you in focus. Thank you. Pre appreciate it, Harris. Thanks so much. And
And I got to be on the Brian Kilmeade show for a few Yes, minutes. you did. And you didn't All have right. to change outfits. <laughs> it's radio. They can't see me anyway. That's All right, right. Thank you. All right. Uh, Harris Faulkner. Uh, that was great. one 866 So I got, a, got in there a little bit early, but you heard the buildup to the issues that are going on. So FBN, the number one network, was on with us. And I didn't want to complicate anything, but we are on Fox Nation, too. So uh, that's pretty cool. So we're going to talk about that. In, a, in 34 after, I'm going to be bringing in Gerard Baker, who wrote, always writes good columns, deep thinker, extremely smart. smart. But one of the things he brought up is people look at the president overseas and see the fist bump. You see how he steams his struggle even walking, let alone falling off his bike. And people are writing the story as the president lost it. His point is it doesn't matter because he never had it. And the people that know him best were never fans of his. Even though I know Senator Graham said, you know, roasted him or marked so many years in office and said that everyone likes Joe Biden, I'm not sure people have respect for Joe Biden. And then when you factor in that President Barack Obama said, not denied, never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to blank things up, and the word starts with F. And then when he starts talking at a meeting, he hands a piece of paper to an aide, I believe Susan writes, uh, excuse me, Valerie Jarrett, that said, shoot me now. That's the guy that hired him. We're now stuck with him. I don't believe he hired the A team. I believe he has the C team. And we are in the middle of C team with poor policies, being executed poorly, being stopped by Congress. So now he's going to do it through pure executive order, which is flat out agenda driven. If he goes ahead and does this, and I'll play a clip showing that even he knows he can't overstep and can't declare a state of emergency. If he go ahead and does, starts implicating univ- um, an absolute monarch status, starts implementing some of these policies, it is going to blow up his entire party with independents, Hispanics, and others come the midterm. But four-shot Fauci and now four-shot Biden have one thing in common. They both test positive of COVID-19. We hope they're both okay. Don't move. Gerard Baker, next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think what you've seen is in the years since Democrats have missed the mark when it comes to talking to Hispanic voters, you know, they act as if they're so drastically different than everyone else that they don't pay for gas or see the cost of inflation or send their kids to school. And so to your point before, when you have districts, particularly along the southern border that have voted Democratic for generations, suddenly vote Republican like they did with Myra Flores last month, that is a huge, huge red siren in advance of these midterms. Yes, uh, and it plays into why Democrats are have to be extremely worried and might be rethinking how they feel about breaking the border and just thriving on it, thinking that every Hispanic that comes through our southern border, and most of them are, some, whether it's Venezuela, Cuba, uh, Bolivia, uh, Guatemala, uh, you get it, El Salvador, or Mexico, they think these are future voters, and it, things are changing on the ground before our eyes. I don't have to tell that to Gerard Baker, editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal, host of the Wall Street Journal at large Fridays at 7.30. Gerard, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. So what do you think about these facts? That they, 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 Every poll that comes back, I don't care who runs it, 538 or Fox News or Reuters, more and more Hispanics are running to this party. 
not surprised at all. I mean, I think the on, for a long time, a lot of people have said quite rightly that there's absolutely no reason whatsoever why Hispanics should particularly favor the Democratic Party. In many, many respects, many of the characteristics that, you know, we have to be very careful about generalizations, of course, you know, Hispanic, particularly Hispanic, by the way. I mean, Hispanic includes everything from, you know, Cuban Cubans in Florida to, you know, to Mexico, to Guatemalans in, in, in California. They're very different, by the way, kind of culture and historical backgrounds. But, the, you know, that people have said rightly that many of the values, if you do take them, if you do, if you do generalize, many of the values that a lot of Hispanics hold dear, you know, they're, 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 many of them tend to be sort of quite somewhat more religious, somewhat more conservative religiously than many members of the, than the rest of the population. Um, a lot of them are, tend to, you know, a lot of small business owners, a lot of people who look for sort of entrepreneurial opportunities, all of this kind of thing, that actually should align them quite well with a lot of what the Republican Party has been saying. Now, the Republican Party did turn off a lot of Hispanics back in the 1990s, thanks to sort of some unfortunate rhetoric from people like Pete Wilson in California, but it's there. But I think what's particularly striking, um, Brian, in the last couple of years is that we have seen this is a phenomenon of, the, of this extreme progressive left in the Democratic Party, um, essentially pursuing policies that directly turn a lot of people off, including Hispanics. We're seeing that whether that is on crime or immigration. I think this is a really important issue, this issue of immigration, because I think a lot of people, again, have misunderstood this. People think, look, because somehow it's an incredibly patronizing view that because, you know, because Hispanics, Latinos, however you want to describe them, you know, are themselves, you know, Hispanics, Latinos, and because the vast majority of illegal immigrants coming into the country are coming from the southern border and are therefore Latinos themselves, that somehow there'll be a sense of solidarity between um, the, the Latinos who are here, who are here legally, and those who are trying to get into the country illegally. I, I think actually that's that's never been true. In fact, people who work to come into this country, who go through the uh, extraordinary effort to get into this country legally, they go through an incredibly lengthy process to get work here and then to get a green card and go to that process. They're the ones who are most proud of being Americans and the most respectful of the process. Yeah. They don't want. They don't want. You know, they 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 are the most hostile to the idea that someone should just be allowed to come across the border and then, you know, years later get amnesty. So look, all of these things and then the, the Democratic Party's moved left on so many other things like crime. Crime disproportionately affects, um, you know, Latinos who live, you know, many of them who live in 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 um, in disadvantaged areas and, and suffer from crime. They want a strong police force. They want strong law enforcement. Democrats seem to have abandoned that. So I think on all of these issues, the kind of far left yeah. of the Democratic Party, which is in control of the Democratic Party, is alienating these uh, so many Hispanic voters, and that's why they're favoring the Republicans. Wall Street Journal's uh, Gerard Baker with us. Gerard, the story in Axios I thought you'd be interested in. Uh, talk about the number of immigrants who have come to the U.S. in Georgia, new citizens in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Florida between the fiscal year 2016 and 2020 is greater than the 2020 margin of victory in each of those states. So brand new, first-time immigrants, new immigrants to this country. And it looks like the Republicans do have a plan. The Republican National Committee are helping immigrants prepare for the civics portion of the naturalization test. The Democratic Party has grassroots campaigns, organizing citizenship drives. A lot of them uh, are going to be probably, even though they say for the most part, first-time immigrants are not quick to go to the voting booth. How do you think that changes strategies? And I do think for the first time in my lifetime, it seems Republicans are responding to new immigrants. Because I think the difference, Brian, and I hope this is true. I hope this is true of the Republican Party. I mean, there are still some you know, elements of the Republican Party that don't always um, give this um, you know, approach this thing in this way. I think I think, again, what is appealing about what the Republicans are offering is Republicans are treating people, whether they are black, white, Hispanic, Asian-American, they're treating the issues that concern them. They're not treating them as 
blocks of people. They're not treating them. Yeah. They're not defining them by the color of their skin. This is the modern progressive left wing creed, which is that, which is actually, again, as I said, it's incredibly patronizing and actually dehumanizing and in a way infantilizing that these Democrats think, look, you're Hispanic, you're, you're, you're brown skin. You've got to support me because I'm a, because I'm a Democrat. Actually, what, most people are saying, actually, why should I support you? I actually, what are your policies? What are you going to do for me? What are, well, how are you going to improve the country? How are you going to make this country grow faster? How are you going to improve its energy um, uh, self-sufficiency? How are you going to make the economy better for us? How are you going to deal with crime that affects my neighborhood? They don't want to be just told, oh, you're Hispanic, I'm on your side, because they want to actually see what you're right. going to do. And I think that is, I think Republicans, have, this is a great opportunity for Republicans to say, we're not looking at the color of your skin. We're not saying we're going to treat you differently because you're Hispanic or black or white. We're actually, we believe in opportunity for all Americans. And we are going to, we've got a set of policies that will improve the lives of all Americans. So come and join us. I, I hope that's the message. I really believe it, it can be. Yeah, I just see, uh, for example, they say Nevada, Pennsylvania and Florida Competitive center races, all three states, there were more citizens who naturalized over the last five years leading up to the 2020 election than ballots separating Biden and Trump. I mean, what is it, 10,000 votes in Arizona and Georgia together? So this, that yeah. really could tip the balance. What you just said I think is important. I understand if I – if you know, George, you want to get elected and you, inv- and you want – and you hire me to get you to get you a win. I understand behind the scenes – I got to find out who's voting for you, what blocks, you know, what their income bracket is. I understand that. But wouldn't it be great uh, what their uh, heritage is, perhaps? Wouldn't it be great to have a candidate that says, listen, I'm not separating you guys in Hispanic, blacks, whites, men or women. I'm just going to tell you what to do for the country. My goal as a lawmaker is to level the playing field to to allow you to be as successful as possible. I can't handle outcomes. And I, I wonder if that would ever resonate. Yeah, I mean, it's it, maybe it is a long shot. I, I think I don't think so though, and I think again, I do really think that's why you are seeing this real significant migration, if I can use that term, to the Republican Party. Do, you know, we saw that special election in Texas uh, just a few weeks ago. We've seen, you know, we saw how well Donald Trump did, and you know, a lot of Donald Trump. Sometimes Donald Trump said some things that you know makes you make you cringe a little bit, but he pursued policies that, in the end. We're trying to, you know, improve the lives of all Americans. And that's why, unsurprisingly, a lot of Hispanics in, you know, in, in, in again, in Texas in particular, along the border, but also in Florida and places, other places in the country, voted for Donald Trump, despite the media telling them that he was this sort of terrible racist bigot. So I think there is I think there is an opportunity there. And I really do think, you know, it would be it'd be great for the country, not just. Um, because I think Republicans will get elected and that would tend to be better for the country. It'd be really good if the country could somehow get to, you know, of course, race matters. No one's going to pretend that racism matters. And of course, there is discrimination. And of course, there are also broad categories in which, you know, we, 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 we do tend to, uh, you know, to, 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 to put people into categories based on their ethnicity. And there are some realities about that. There are some shared commonalities that people have. But, but the things, this is what, you know, and, and, and politicians say this all the time, but they don't always mean it. You know, the things that should unite people as Americans are much, much, much more important than the things that divide the country. Or the, and certainly the things that the idea that dividing people by race or ethnicity is somehow going to get the country moving forward. It just isn't. And I think and again, in a weird way, this extraordinary kind of woke revolution, cultural revolution that we've seen in the last two years, I think is starting to produce its own backlash against that. I hope and so. it's actually starting to make more and more people think, you know what? It actually doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. If we're going to have a situation where, you know, you know, you know certain ethnic minorities are going to be first in line 
for medical treatment or first in line for admission to college or first in line for a job, that is going to create a, a mood in a lot of people who's going to say, that's not that's not the America. That's not that's not colorblindness. That's not by the way, that's not Dr. Martin Luther King's America. So, look, I think there is a I think there, I think this is changing. And I think we're, we're seeing that reflected in this polling. Yeah. Uh, with Gerard Baker with us. Uh, Gerard, the president of the United States is tested positive for COVID-19. We hope he's OK. He's got mild symptoms. Just to update everybody. Here he was yesterday trying to tell everyone it's an emergency climate. It's an emergency. And meanwhile, the big story was how many misspe- uh, how many gaffes he had. This is one of, the, one of the most interesting, cut 14. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. In an emphasis to talk about how dirty the air was when he was growing up in Delaware, he said he has cancer. Next thing you know, the communications division of the White House is scrambling to say, well, he did have lesions removed, and, the, uh, but, uh, and that was a long time ago. And then his doctor came out and goes, yeah, that was because he sat in the sun as a lifeguard. Uh, and next thing you know, we're not talking about climate change. We're talking about why did the president declare he had cancer? I mean, and, you're, and this plays into your column. When people say Barack Obama, excuse me, Barack Obama, Joe Biden is losing it. You say he never had it and you go through his career. Want to expand on that? Yeah. I mean, again, I look, I I think it is, as I said in my column, it's kind of convenient for Democrats suddenly to discover that Joe Biden is an old man. You know, we knew that two years ago when he was running for president. We know it now. And I don't. I mean, look, he's he's a 79 year old man, as you say, exactly the same as you. I wish him all the best. I'm sure these days most most most. most versions of COVID are pretty mild. My, my 102-year-old father, Brian, just had COVID and got through it, you know, with Great. absolutely no problems whatsoever. I'm sure the president will be fine, and I certainly hope he is. But look, yeah, this, I mean, but then he's, by the way, I'd say he, he's always been a gaff machine, right? I mean, we know, you know, he's always said things throughout his career, you know, when he was a much younger man, that were bafflingly inexplicable i mean or just false i mean we've seen that on everything you know when he was in the senate when he was vice president he was always notorious for for saying crazy things look this latest thing and so all i said what i say in my column this week is you know it's less about his age it's not about his age it's not about the fact that he's suddenly too old to be president it's about the fact that he's been wrong on pretty well everything that matters in the last you know 30 40 years and i'm sorry to say that Especially if, if the man is, you know, not not if, if the man is sick at the moment. But, um, you know, it, it it is true that 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 whether you know, on all, as I said in the column, all the things that he actually kind of the, all all the sort of things that, that that are sort of memorable in his career, he now disowns. So whether it was things like you know the Anita Hill Clarence Thomas hearings and his bizarre performance during that, whether it was support for the crime bill in the 1990s, whether it was support for welfare reform, whether it was his support for the for the Iraq war in 2003. He's literally disowned all of them. He's literally said, no, you know, he's basically taken a completely different tack on all of them. That should be a sign, not of his dementia or of his, you know, inability to do the job anymore because of his age, but because he just got things wrong. He's got and he's got things so many things wrong in his political career. And you look at the last year and a half, the first year and a half of his presidency, it's the same story on everything from, you know, going for bust on fiscal policy, on um, what he did in Afghanistan, on an immigration policy that is basically, you know, next to open borders. He's got everything wrong. I don't put that down to his old age, to his dementia, to his senility. I put that down to it fits in perfectly with everything. Somebody said to me, you know, somebody said to me that the most message from the White House about Joe Biden is, you know, Joe Biden's judgment is exactly, you know, it's as good as it is. It's the same as it always was. And somebody said, yeah, that's the problem.
Right, because he's always been, never been a leader. He's been a follower. Where's my party at? I'll do it. I'm going to crack down on crime in 1994. Now I'm going to make sure, I'm going to allow my DAs to let crime run rampant. I'm not going to condemn any uprising in the streets. I'm going to go visit victims of what they say is violence from cops instead of finding out what happened to all those businesses when it comes to uh, to uh, to all these incidents. He he stopped looking for law enforcement. Now he wants to reclaim the law enforcement mantle. Why? Because he's not responding to any beliefs. He's not going yeah. against any beliefs. He's putting his finger in the wind and saying, this is where my party's at. And by the yeah. way, he's listening to the wrong side of the party. If he was yeah. Joe Manchin right now, nobody would be talking about age because Joe Manchin's only a few years younger. I think Joe Manchin is in his early 70s. This guy's 77, yeah, right? Yeah. If if he was Joe Manchin, nobody would go, well, he's in his 70s. No, they go, Joe Manchin's got a vision. He's bucking his own party. He's getting Republicans upset sometimes and Democrats upset sometimes. All all Joe Biden cares about is trying to consolidate his party, and he's failing on all levels. Joe Manchin won, you know, a a Senate seat for Democrats in a state that President Donald Trump won by 47 points. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about how to be an effective politician, right? And that's, yeah, that, and by the way, that's what we were supposedly going to get with Biden. We should have known better, I think it's fair to say, because you're absolutely right, Brian. His entire career has been about going along with wherever the party, wherever the party beckons him, that's where Joe Biden will be. But somehow we thought back in 2020, or a lot of voters did, I think, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't believe that. They thought, hey, Biden's kind of, you know, presenting himself as, you know, maybe famously said, oh, I'm not a socialist. I'm not going to do anything crazy. You know, you can trust me. And I think a lot of people did. They thought, yeah, he's going to, you know, we've had a turbulent few years. We're in the midst of the pandemic. It was still, you know, a sense of crisis in the country. What we needed was a kind of a, a guy, not the most, you know, not a guy with a vision or any kind of great ideology or any great, you know, sense even of, you know, where he wanted to take the country, but just someone who was going to just be sensible and just do kind of things that could be done. You know, he was going to be a pragmatic centrist president he turns into something completely different again we should have known because that's where his career has always been if the, um as you say and by the way you're absolutely right brian you know if he had followed if he followed the kind of mansion approach he'd have approval ratings in the 60s now rather than in the 30s and nobody would be talking about his age for a second absolutely they wouldn't even worry about his walk or his gait. they would say well he's not a good speaker but at least i know where he's going you know exactly. aoc doesn't like him what else is new that's probably good for the country and there's yeah. a lot of moderates like Chris Coons, like Senator Warner, like Senator Tester, like Senator Manchin, Senator Kristen Cinema, yeah. and maybe Kelly would have shown to be moderates. They go, yeah, you know, I got the president's back on this. But instead, yeah, they but have instead nowhere to go all... because the president exactly. only has the squads back. Exactly. They've all gone in yeah. the same direction. Go get them. Hey, listen, Gerard, I'm going to talk to you on One Nation this week at 8 o'clock, okay? Yeah, let's push it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gerard Baker, Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's the best. Back in a moment. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back, and everybody, I got to tell you, I hope everybody can meet me. I'm just going over this now. I'm going to be on stage, Brian Kilmeade, live at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center this August 27th. We got about a month. Uh, I'm going to be talking about all the books in our in our past. A little bit what I talked about with Harris Faulkner just now, how we really got to start fighting for our history instead of taking nuances about what McKinley might have done better than uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, McKinley would have done better than Teddy Roosevelt or the impact of uh, Booker T. Washington on American society. Now we're talking about America being built on stolen land, 
uh, being based on slavery. And I think it's important for people to get the facts and have fun at the same time. So it's going to be America great from the start. So August uh, 27th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, the Egg in Albany on September uh, 8th. So it'll be the following week. And then when the paperback comes out, it'll be in Brandon, Mississippi on November 12th and in Tulsa, Oklahoma on November 13th at the Cox Convention Center. So just go to BrianKillMe.com or Ticketmaster directly and get tickets. Real quick, on Hunter Biden, it looks like the investigation is coming to a head. And as it comes to a head, people wonder, could he be dealing with the situation FARA, uh, foreign um, agent uh, violations, FARA uh, uh, violations, much like Paul Manafort landed himself in solitary confinement for, it was pure politics? Could he be dealing with gun charges that might be significant because he lied in getting a gun permit? Could he be just representing his doing illicit deals with people that are on the watch list, like in China, Romania, and Colombia? Or can it be simple violations, uh, minor violations that keeps him away from a jury and keeps his dad out of trouble? We'll find out as early as this week. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.